sisters, join the resistance. Come on, let's start by talking tactics. Have a pass and match this. Here's how we practice. The last order conversation. David Jason. Hey, everybody, welcome to Pop Culture Continuum. This is John Elliott. This is Patrick Riccardi. And this week we have returning guest. Steve Marcus. Hello. Mr. Pop Culture. Uh. <laughs> and we're doing Captain. I know, I keep Command. I keep downgrading him. Commander, Lieutenant. <laughs> uh what are we doing this week, Pat? Uh we're doing Michael Jackson versus Prince. Yeah. Thriller versus sign Oh the Times. Um so it's kinda weird to talk about thriller uh, i didn't even own this album until decades after because i didn't need to um <laughs> what was your guys did you ever own it pat no, no this was this was one of those experiences when i was in grade school and everybody loved it and i didn't understand why I, not I, that there's anything anything wrong with it it just it wasn't it didn't speak to me like it did to everyone else yeah i, I felt the same i was you know I was older, I guess. I was like about thirteen when it came out. But um, yeah, I would have been in, I would have been in middle school, and and uh, I didn't. I mean, didn't realize at the time because it was happening as it was happening. But like seven of the nine songs are singles. Seven so, of the nine songs are were top ten singles. <laughs> right. So it, it was truly ubiquitous, and and there was there was no. It was playing constantly. There was no need to play it in addition to it playing constantly. Um, and I liked it. It wasn't the kind of music I would gravitate to, but I, I vividly remember it must have been the Grammys were on uh, in the living room in a house in the suburbs, and my, my family was just doing whatever uh, in various rooms. And and Michael Jackson kept winning awards for you know everything. And I forget who said it. It was my mom, probably my mom, and she's like, "Oh, I really like this." Like she hadn't really paid attention to Michael Jackson. My dad said something like, "Oh, I really like it too." And I, I, it was this moment where I realized this is the album that everybody agrees <laughs> agrees <laughs> on. Like the the you know truly everybody in the world is like, "Yeah, this is good. I like this," which was kind of awesome. Yeah, it it's it's weird. Like it's almost it, you, at this point you can't really. It's not like an opinion. It's like a fact of everyday life. This album you can't. You know every every single person you're going to meet knows Michael Jackson and Thriller um, in some, in one way or another. Uh, and it was, it's the number one album of all time. Prince didn't, Prince was like barely made the top 40 um, top selling albums of all time with Purple Rain, but that was his only appearance. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, but uh, the, t- I have a- no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I read, so I, I should track where the fact is from, but uh, Michael Jackson going into this record was, he, he'd heard a greatest hits record from some somebody, and he said, wouldn't it be great to make a record that was a greatest hits record, but it was not a greatest hits record, it was just a record. <laughs> and that, that was what he set out to do, and he, he did it. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, uh, he did it. He, uh, yeah, I, that's a thing I've heard about the first Cars album, too. Like, they didn't... That wasn't their thought, but that was the thing, like, critics said. Like, it's like a Greatest Hits album, but it's just an album. But yeah, this... That's interesting that he actually shot for that. Um, the two- yeah, and imagine if someone else had said something like that, and not the... the not Michael Jackson. That People would not have anything nice to say about the guy, but somehow Michael Jackson could say that and get away with it. Oh, yeah, he dubbed himself the King of Pop, and people went <laughs> along with it, so... Well, yeah, when you have... He has this sense of like um, grandeur about him. So, like you know, Paul McCartney's on the record because it it's the sort of thing that somebody of Michael's stature and his ambition would do is have a Beatle on your record. Yeah, you know, um, and he just he does things like that. That um, when he pulls it off, it's it, you know, it's like okay, enough respect for that. <laughs> I, I will say the two songs that weren't singles, um, it it was a good idea to not have them as singles. I think Baby Be Mine is like, I don't know, dentist office funk. And then The Lady in My Life is just a, a ballad. And I don't think 
ballads are his strong suit, but we'll get and so to for, that. For that one, that one I was thinking um, it sounded sort of like a Burt Bacharach tune. And again, him seeing himself in a sort of a pop, you know, pantheon, it's the kind of thing that I can see him being like, oh, this is going to be my tune that demonstrates that I can master that genre. Right. You yeah, know, that's true. Um, that's that's interesting. Um, well, we should we each picked one song from this album. Um, Before we go to the songs, I just want to talk about. I think one of my I don't know if it was my first interaction with 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 Thriller or it, I guess maybe it came later. But I was at a kid's birthday party, and just regular birthday party stuff happened. And then the parents called everyone into the living room to watch TV, and they turned on this this like i guess it was like a half hour or 15 minutes or something thriller video and it started off and everyone was super excited and i had no idea what was going on and what we were watching you must have liked the video though i don't remember the well I, yeah i i think i don't know um i have i mean is, is there any other uh album that that produced such a long video for one of the songs i mean this is so funny well so here's here's something that i relearned um reading before we're we're talking today is that m so mtv had a policy of um first of all being racist not showing any videos by black people um (laughs) and the record company i think cbs basically said they would pull all of their other videos if they wouldn't play michael jackson and it's it's shocking and incredible that that had to happen but so they were wait forced. wait they were forced to play they were forced for thriller like the no, biggest well, album of all I don't, time yeah. forced i don't know what the first single was off the record i think uh, it was uh billy jean no 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 it was sorry it was it was still for this record that they were forced to play it for i, I find that unbelievable I mean, it's so That's, crazy yeah and there's you know there's this great video on on uh youtube of david bowie um very deftly um, wrangling with Mark Goodman, one of the DJs, and I think he had some kind of programming hand at the at the time about why they wouldn't play any, uh, you know, black artists on MTV. And you know, Michael Jackson was the one that broke through because the record company was like, "Fuck you, yep, you get <laughs> like, none of our artists. This, this is it. Like, like, fuck <laughs> you." And and finally, it it happened. And so, but the other thing is, so Billie Jean, I guess, yeah, was probably the first video, and Thriller was imagined as this. You know, Michael Jackson was really smart in realizing that the videos were really important, and so he hired John Landis, the you know the the director, to do the video, and and it was that epic thing. And and uh, still, the record company, I guess, didn't have enough money to fund. You know, like you said, it's a fifteen minute video in, in full, and so um, the way that it was partially funded was MTV had a policy of not commissioning videos which um, makes sense. Um, but what they did was they commissioned a making of the video documentary that was 45 minutes long. <laughs> and so they paid for that, and that helped pay for the video. <laughs> um, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. They... I, did, I did not know about the, the... I mean, I knew about the racism of, of MTV, but I thought it ended before Thriller, and that is no, thriller's, shocking to me. Yeah, Thriller, although... I swear to God, because we had, um, I remember when MTV first, I took the day off school, the first day MTV came on, so I could watch it, um, and uh, I swear, I was positive that I remembered Prince being played, um, like 1999 being played before Michael Jackson on MTV, and I looked it up, and it was, it just wasn't like, it must not have been in heavy rotation or anything, um, but, you know, they had so little videos when they first started that they just basically played whatever the hell they could, I think. Um, so Prince did beat him onto the air, uh, although they probably played something off off the wall by Michael Jackson as well. All right, I just Googled it. So Pass the Duchy by Musical Youth and 1999 by Prince were both in heavy rotation on MTV before Billie Jean. Heavy rotation? I don't know about that, because I, this, is, this has been widely covered that they were forced into playing... Right more black music because of because of michael jackson so right but but two songs is not exactly a lot of <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah so anyway well i i will say i do have some problems with uh some songs on this album i mean obviously it's not as good as the myth would 
make you think, but nothing would be. But I, I do like. I remember Beat It when that came out. Um, I just didn't like it, and I thought, why did you get Eddie Van Halen? You know, like you were talking about his Paul McCartney um, thing and like Burt Bacharach style. Uh, maybe pick. He's had. He has a problem with picking uh, guitarist sidemen to work with. I feel like. Because I, I kind of hated Van Halen at that point, and I didn't think it really worked as a rock cross. I just thought the song was weak, actually. I didn't think it was that great of a song. And I didn't think uh, Eddie Van Halen added a lot to it, even though that guitar was, you know, all over it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and, and one of the songs we'll talk about, uh, I have a big problem with, too. <laughs> and I didn't until until researching and listening to this album. I didn't realize how m- many other artists were involved with Thriller, like Eddie Van Halen and and the Paul McCartney and the, the members of Toto were in, in that song. I I just figured it was just Michael Jackson and a bunch of whatever musicians he paid to show up. I didn't know other famous people were involved. That's well, me being dumb, but still. Vincent Price. Let's not forget to terrorize <laughs> well, y'all's neighborhood. That's the hear vincent price say that is pretty awesome although that's another one where i think the video was much better than the song i don't think the song is all that strong it's fine but i don't think it would have been as big a hit without the video it's hard to hear some of this stuff now and think about what it would be without being what it is yeah exactly you know um yeah yeah it's difficult to discuss like i said um objectively but you know you can with all this distance you can also listen to it kind of freshly in a way as well and then and kind of just judge it on on its merits rather than all the bullshit surrounding it i guess uh, i thought it, i thought it was interesting i so i went back and was listening to this and off the wall and i didn't really think about how disco-y off the wall was yeah as a as a record and like the last song is called something the, the word disco is in the song title um, and and this one has you know it's like syncopated and catchy and everything but it doesn't have that disco sheen it doesn't it's not dated in the same way it's definitely right. like burn synths. this disco out by the way that's right that's yeah. right so <laughs> there's like synths everywhere which i love um and that makes it sound of a time but it doesn't have that disco shellac on it yeah although i i think i prefer just as an album off the wall um song wise but I, I don't know this isn't this isn't bad i don't mean to like be sound like i'm slamming it i just it, like i said it's not as great as i mean for the number the two albums we're doing this one is the number one selling album of all time and i think it's the wrong one to be in that position but <laughs> so, it's so also we'll, understandable so we'll get to we'll get to sign of the times but i um i don't understand i don't understand why people um, adore that record over like if I'm going to put on a Prince record there are five other Prince records I would put on before that one and none of my favorite songs even top 10 favorite songs for Prince are on that record and really I just don't, I just don't get why oh well yeah we'll talk about it because it's, it's yeah. my favorite um, but let's talk about Thriller um, so, but I mean when you say it's the wrong one to be number one I, I, I think Steve's comment about watching the Grammys brings up why it was number one. It was everybody liked it. Everybody could at least not hate it. No, I get it. But I feel that way about the Prince album, but we'll, we'll talk about it later. Um, let's get into some songs. So I picked uh, the first song on the album. Want to be starting something. I think it's like, this is a legitimately great song, I think. And also very weird. Like if you listen to the lyrics, you're a vegetable and they hate you. I don't even know what the hell he's <laughs> talking about. That's some weird shit to be in a top ten hit. So um, I looked up um, the one of the producers on the record, Bruce. I'm going to mangle his last name: S W E D I E N Sweden. I don't know, um, but so he was interviewed in one of the occasions, the, the anniversary occasions for this record, and he said that he says that track is about Michael's brothers' wives and how they were always creating trouble. That was his inspiration. <laughs> which d- doesn't I like it still wow, doesn't explain yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway that's interesting. well that is interesting I mean I never would have gotten that in a million years from it um well I'm sure he does you know like literal or not 
you know, I don't know. I was this is this is really unrelated, but um, I was reading an interview with the lyricist for Wire, like they have a new record, and and you know he'll explain where a song comes from, but he'll make an effort to change like whatever whatever it's from. He then runs it through the songifier or whatever, and it's different. I'm sh- I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's happening here too. So that's what most artists do. I remember um, hearing about uh, you've got to hide your love away um, by the Beatles being about their manager Brian Epstein uh, and and then th- or Epstein and then thinking yeah but he's it's it's addressed to a woman in the lyrics so how could it be about him but yeah uh, I know I'm terrible at, at figuring this I did not know like a prayer by Madonna was sexual until probably seven years ago like I didn't get any kind of sexual references in that and then I like just listened to the lyrics and I was like oh I get it now. So, yeah, I'm awful at that anyway. But I think this song um, is just a great pop song, um, and it's got the the weird, I don't know, I'm I'm assuming ersatz African chanting at the end. I don't know if it's actually anything. It's kind of like the um, Lionel Richie all night long stuff that he does in there. Um, this is one of those songs that, sounds like the 80s and you does it sound like the 80s because it created the sound or does it sound like the 80s because that already existed i guess because it created the sound i mean to be fair i do think prince had been doing this kind of stuff before michael jackson uh with 1999 and dirty mind and stuff but um yeah it does definitely sound like the 80s another interesting thing that i read about michael a long time ago was that even though he didn't play an instrument he did write and arrange the songs just by humming or singing them into a recorder and he like would do all the parts so that's pretty that's pretty impressive i didn't know he didn't play an instrument so he didn't play he played the piano right i think he probably played a little piano but that's not how he wrote the songs yeah okay um but yeah it is it is very 80s sounding but also very uh very infectious and like in a way that billy jean say isn't billy jean is like more of a slow burn and it took me really a long time to appreciate that song more um but yeah this one this one just sounds like a party to me any other thoughts from you guys it's um it's fun to start a record with a song about starting things (laughs) that makes me really happy Um, (laughs) yeah that's that's a good point i didn't even think yeah i would break the cd in half if it was the last song All right, uh, let's take a listen in case anybody's unfamiliar with this. Uh, Here's Wannabe Star and Something. You're not going to play Prince clips, are you? Yes, I am going to play Prince clips. Fuck, oh, he's dead. Oh, man. Good luck being haunted. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm already haunted. 
Uh, oh yeah, that was what I was going to say. I was talking about off air. I didn't realize as we record this, this is like the the one year anniversary of Prince's death, which I didn't even oh I didn't even think about until uh, I saw it all over Facebook. But that so. was Friday, right? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I I didn't realize it either. I didn't know it. I didn't realize it'd been so long. But I someone put this kind of awesome video of these like grade school kids singing a Prince song. It was fun. Yeah, uh, he. He sold more records in 2016 than any other artist. So, as always, Diane's good for your career. Um, but the next song we're going to do is the aforementioned Paul McCartney duet. Uh, your 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 favorite song on the album, right? Sure. The Girl Is Mine, Pat. Um, and a little bit about why you chose this one. Um, I thought it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> It reminded me a lot of, as I said in the email, it reminded me a lot of the Little Drummer Boy. Not the song itself, but just the awkward conversation between uh, Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. It reminded me of the, the conversation between Bing Crosby and, and David, David Bowie. Bowie at, uh, the Little Drummer Boy song they do. Yeah. Just awkward and weird. That conversation, like, I don't get, like, I think they're trying to make it sound like it's off the cuff or something, but... Really, you can do as many takes of that as you want. You don't have to go with the first one. Make it... <laughs> I don't... This song is like such a trifle, it it seems like it's going to blow away. I think that's a big problem for Paul McCartney uh, solo anyway, but Michael doesn't help him. Like I said, I don't think Michael's very great with the ballads. Um, so on Wikipedia, it says that the song received mixed reviews, and it goes through a, a few bad reviews of it. And then the one positive review is from Jackson's biographer. And the positive statement is the writer stated that the song was cute, but lacked substance. So that's... <laughs> but yeah, that is the best you can say about it, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's completely insubstantial. And um, yeah, it's, this is the worst of both of them. It's too bad. I think say, say, say was a better duet. Um, but I guess Paul McCartney got to put that one on his album. Well, they, they each ahead. both have this um, this instinct in them, right? And so it just kind of ex- it was exponential. Yes, you know, like they they both let rip on this <laughs> on this, and, and so um, yeah, there was yeah. no Lennon around to temper it on this. There was two McCartneys. So I like that the 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 idea of the song came from Quincy Jones when he told Michael Jackson, write a song about you and another guy fighting for a woman. <laughs> Quincy, what, why, why are you bring that to Michael Jackson? <laughs> uh, well, I love how, and I love how they're not really fighting at all. And it's clear, yeah. it's clear the whole way through that. It's just an amiable goof and there's nothing at stake. And it's just, yeah, there's yeah, no, it's not, te- there's no tension here. There's like, not, <laughs> yeah. It's not the motherfucking girl is mine. It's the doggone girl is mine. Yeah. <laughs> so Quincy Jones, did, did he have a lot to do with Michael Jackson's uh, albums after this? You know what? That is a really good question. I think on Bad, he used like a bunch of different producers, or maybe it was Jam and Lewis. I can't remember. Um, let me see if I can find anything about it. Um, oh, no. Quincy Jones was Bad still. So, yes. Um, okay. And then, uh, yeah, and then he started using other producers, like, after that, like Teddy Riley and, and Bruce Sweden, Sweden, whatever his name is. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, that, well, this was, then I blame Quincy Jones for this, partially. Because <laughs> this was not a, an idea that came to fruition as it should have. Uh, well, let's listen to this dumb song. T- top ten hit. First single release from the album, The Girl Is Mine. Don't waste your time. Because the doggone girl is mine. She's mine. She's mine. No, 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 she's mine. The girl is 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 mine. Yep, she's mine. going to fight about this, okay? Paul, I think I told you. I'm a lover, not a fighter. 
heard it all before, Michael. She told me that I'm her forever lover, you know, don't you remember? Well, after loving me, uh, she said she couldn't love another. Is that what she said? Yeah, she said it. You keep dreaming. I don't believe it. No, the girl is mine. All right. And, um, oh, so why, why would you think they would choose that as the first, the first signal? It's, it's obviously probably sing- demanded it. Yeah, you think so? I have no idea. I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing. I mean, it's like the, it's just such an odd choice of all the, the, the powerful, the good songs on that album to pick this one that's not especially good. Yeah, I, and yet it was number two on the charts. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. So I do wonder. I do wonder if if you have Paul McCartney on your record, there's sort of a like the managers. You know, maybe it's not Paul McCartney, but the manager's like, okay, yeah, he can be on your record, but that's got to be your first single. Yeah, kind of thing. that's what I'm you thinking. Know? Um, and maybe uh, there's just the assumption that that's going to be a big hit, so you might as well s- start with that in case the others aren't. Sure. Although, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think listening to the album, it's pretty obvious the others would be. Um, yeah, speaking of ballads, um, before we get to your song, Steve, Human Nature is another one um, where I, I just think his... Lyrically, when he tries to do this stuff, Michael Jackson, it's very facile, which is another... A problem that Prince has as well, but um, the human nature is another one that doesn't work well. The melody is strong on it. I, just... I was gonna, I was gonna say, I can't actually. I, I don't know if I've ever really listened to the lyrics for that, but the the melody is so pretty that I don't care. Yeah, yeah, it's the lyrics that trip me up. But um, but he he's done worse for sure. Um, but your pick is my second favorite song on the album, Steve. So why don't you talk about that? PYT. So the, um, I just love the, it's interesting to hear that he composes music through sort of vocalizing because everything on this song is a melodic, like every part of it is a melodic line that's all dense and woven together. And like, you could, you can kind of follow it through any one of like, like there's the synth and the lead vocals and the backing vocals and the synth flourishes and the 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 rhythm and like you could just your ears could just follow any one of five different lines through the song and be entertained and and you can also like different things by design crop up to draw your attention from one line to the other like it's inexhaustible i can listen to this thing over and over and over yeah uh, it it's like revolver um to me in that way i i know exactly what you're saying that that's true um, it's completely inventive for sure, like musically, rhythmically, melodically. Um, and I didn't mean to like sound so harsh at the beginning because I do think it's a great album. It's not one I listen to a lot because I don't need to, but if it comes on, I'm not going to fast forward um, un- unless it's, you know, uh, Girl is Mine. But <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I I love this song and I love the, uh, this was a thing in the early 80s, like with funk bands a lot was the the vocoder robot voice type stuff that he's got going in there. And to me, it's just, it's another one that's like very joyous and it comes across. Uh, Pat, you got any thoughts on PYT? No, I like it. I like it a lot. PYT is one of the ones that feels more like in like a 70s song to me than the rest of the album. And I don't know why. Oh, I I mean, I can kind of see it. The robot voices. Yeah, it's got it's got funk elements that are that are very seventies in a yeah. in a great way. Yeah. All right. Well, let's give it a quick. Yeah, spin. I just want to make it clear: the girl is mine is not my favorite song of the album. <laughs> no, I think he made it clear. Yeah. It's the it's the Ewok moment on the album. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. To I, love Pat. E- he loves the Ewoks. I love the Ewoks. <laughs> so maybe yeah, maybe it's the uh, the prequels out moment. Uh, here is a much better song, Pyt. I always wanted a girl just like you. Such a purity.
we uh, kind of jammed through that album, but that's fine. Um, I'm kind of more excited to talk about this next one, and especially to argue with Steve about it, from the sound <laughs> of it, and Gosh. possibly Pat. Um, but we'll see. Let's take a quick break. Um, we'll come back with Sign of the Times. We had a comrade, a brave comrade, he could talk for whole days. But then he tried to be a hero, tried talking about Shamiro to computers wearing earphones. He almost died for conversation, hallucinations, good vibrations. Van Dyke Park's greyhound racing, steeplechasing. We are back with Prince, Sign of the Times, um, which I picked for my own reasons. I guess to your, to kind of what you were talking about before, Steve, it is definitely a critical hit, but commercially it wasn't that big. Um, it was definitely no Purple Rain. Um, yeah, I was thinking it was. Uh, I was thinking um, it was surprising that we were doing Thriller versus Sign of the Times because the the analog would be purple rain right yeah. but we already did an episode on purple right, rain right. so um yeah yeah the analog would be purple rain and uh it might have been i mean that would have been really interesting to talk about as well but uh but yeah i'm i'm totally cool with this one and i remember when it came out, I bought. I was like, I was on board from Purple Rain. Like, I saw the movie that had the album, and I got everything Prince did after that. And then when this one came out, uh, it rapidly became my favorite. Uh, and I will speak a little bit as to why, because um, to me, this this album, like you were saying, talking about um, Michael Jackson trying to uh, show that he could master different styles. This masters way more styles than Michael Jackson ever did. Um, and it has one of the thing, one of my favorite Prince, uh, styles is the, is the really stripped down funk, like, uh, kiss and sign of the times on this album. Um, which he was real, like he took James Brown pared down and pared it down more. And I always liked when he did that. And there are a few songs on this album, like the whole, the whole first side almost is is like that, just very pared down. Um, and Housequake has even a sense of humor, which is rare for Prince on record. Uh, and the thing, well, I'll talk about it a little when we talk about your song, Steve. Actually, I'll talk about it now. Um, I think like a song like The Cross, which you pick, it could have been on like the third Velvet Underground album. Um, and I think a lot of bands could have written that song but those bands couldn't have written any other song on this album and i feel that way about almost every song on this album like <clears throat> yeah you could picture somebody doing that but you can't picture them doing the rest of the album uh and that's what really holds up for me about it uh it's not that just that he's like he's like a dilettante showing off what he can do like he can work in different styles i think he kind of inhabits those styles uh he's like fully musically understands the different styles he does uh and i find it really impressive but let's see what you guys have to say about it steve <laughs> okay um i so i literally googled why do people love sign of the time so much <laughs> um, and it's not that i don't like it it's definitely it's it's impressive it's more impressive when you read everybody knows that he does all of his own most of his own recording and composing and playing and on a lot of his records. But this one, I guess in particular, there's only one, one song, maybe two, uh, two songs. Like it's going to be a beautiful night. has the revolution on it. Yeah, it's and alive. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously you got the look has Sheena Easton on it, but I think the rest of the album was just him, him. which yeah. It, yeah, you know, like it's amazing. But, but again, um, like I guess 
it's impressive. Like it's really impressive, but that doesn't make me want to listen to it um, more than other Prince records. And if I want to hear a Prince song, none of these songs are the ones that are the one that I'm like, I'm not unhappy. You know, I'm in fact, I'm happy to listen to <laughs> the songs on this record, but like, it, I'm, I'm not, I'm not thinking I, I want to hear a hot thing. That's, that's what I, I'm going to put something on. I want to hear a hot thing or, or you got the look or any, you know, like it's, it's from, it's from controversy through, um, purple rains where I want to be or 1990, you know, 1999. Yeah. yeah. Dirty mind and all that. That's where I, that's where I live with Prince. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that. I think, uh, I don't think you're alone in that for sure. I mean, like I said, you, you Googled why does everybody love sign of the times, but I don't think they necessarily do. I think critics did, uh, more than, more than fans. Um, except for me, I guess. But yeah, to me, it's a culmination of all, all those albums and what he was trying to do. Not that he didn't succeed before, but on this one, like you said, he did it all himself and uh and still made it sound like a band and like something like hot thing even um it's got kind of a house feel to it um but then it's also got like these horns in it and stuff that you most house music wouldn't have thought to do i don't know i i listened to it very critically listening for this and there was a lot of stuff i i picked up on um like housequake um sounds like it's just kind of a another house-ish uh, hip-hop song but then it's got that um that funk guitar in it that i don't think most people would do on that so it's his choices are super interesting i think and it it coheres uh for me pat what are you why thoughts? do you think this why do you think this album didn't sell as well i think probably for the reasons steve said i think it's not <clears throat> it doesn't have a uh necessarily any transcendent songs like uh, purple rain did or or anything as great as kiss from his previous album um but it's it's very um consistent i think every song on it is good to me at least um i could i could picture any one of them being a single maybe not a high charting single but a single um but i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this album pat I liked it. I I've never heard the whole thing before. I've heard songs from it, but never the whole thing. And I mean, I picked my favorite song because I've heard that a million times and I like it a lot. But I liked hearing everything else. I don't know where I'd place it because I don't really have enough experience with Prince to know where I'd place it amongst everything. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I should mention as I did on our last podcast the three of us did together this was also the year I broke up with my girlfriend. Might have had something to do with it. It was very. <laughs> it was very. Uh, happy album to me even though lyrically some of it wasn't um but i i also think like prince people talk about prince being like lascivious and stuff but a lot of his songs were women empowering which i don't think he gets enough credit for like if i was your girlfriend is very you know it's a it's a gender bending thing but it's him trying to see it from another point of view and it was the same with darling nikki which was the song that started the whole PMRC. That was about a woman's sexual satisfaction where she was like, yeah, fuck you. I'm done with you. You know? Uh, I, and I don't think he gets a lot of credit for that. Uh, and it's impressive to me, but anyway, the songs. Um, well, so I would say he's lascivious, but like his, his will is always good. Like, yes. As, a, as opposed to like dipshit rock, like Aerosmith right. or, you know, like you just, they're skeevy and horrible and you don't want to be alone in a room with them. Right. But right. like, but Prince, you're always okay. Like it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, like everybody gets horny and it's like, whatever, it's all fine. You know, like he, his will is good. You yeah. Know? He celebrates yeah, it, would, it rather than being creepy about it. Yeah. 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 With Prince, they want to be there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not like, well, to take from the same type of genre, like Rick James, another one who's like, kind of in the aerosmith mode lyrically kind of scary yeah yeah um all right well we're gonna get into the songs and we're starting like late in the album on this one um there were no number one hits off this album you got the look went to number two i guess and uh sign of the times itself went to number three that i do have problems with his lyrics like i said like sign of the times the whole thing with like 
tried reefer for the very first time in April or whatever. Now he's doing horses, June. That kind of thing is stupid. Um, he was never good at the social consciousness stuff, I don't think, at this period anyway. But uh, I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that so much. I liked the. It was sort of a sly stone. Um, yeah, curse, curse Mayfield kind of thing, and and I, I'm a sucker for that yeah. stuff. And he's that's you know that's really who he reminds me of a lot is uh, Sly and the Family Stone, especially on this album. Just the way that it was kind of kaleidoscopic and funk, but still all over the place musically. And he worked with Larry Graham later. Um, he, like Larry Graham would tour as his bass player and stuff. So. But anyway, uh, your pick, Pat. You said it was your favorite off the album, and you mm-hmm. heard it a million times. Yeah, Starfish and Coffee. It's a weird, like, psychedelic pop thing, which he'd done a bunch at this by this point. And uh, nice piano in it, and this sounds nice. Yeah, I like it. About, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's about school kids on LSD, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, this this was my favorite for a long time. I think when I when I first got the album, um, and that's another thing. Like this this wasn't a single or anything. Actually, well, one of these was a single that we're talking about. But um, album, all the album tracks to me were very strong. Like the one before this, the ballad of Dorothy Parker, is also very weird. It's also it's almost like got a new Jack feel before that was even a thing. But then it's also got rock elements. You know, it's it's Prince. I don't know. I'm a little little surprised you guys didn't like this album more, but uh, <clears throat> whatever. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> what you want me to say. I didn't say it no. was terrible. I no, I know. Just... Nobody's opposed. To... <laughs> I, no, I, under, I understand that. Um, we all like it. I like it. I, res- I respect it as an album. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even I say know. anything bad about it, but Not I have to like it more. I'm sorry, Kiss John. my ass. No, no, I, I just, to me, this one, um, I don't know why. Like, upon first listen, it, it stuck out to me as being great. Um, no, I know. I know where you guys are coming from. I'm not trying to dish you. Um, I yeah, mean, Star we can't just all listen to it right after breaking up with her. High school girlfriend. Sorry. Well, you should try it. Um, what, any I thoughts? did. I got arrested. Any thoughts on this song, Steve? Starfish and coffee. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty. I like it. Um, it's it's just sort of delightful. I think yeah, it's the the word. It's very pleasant. Um, all right, let's listen to it. Starfish and coffee. in post um the next song we're doing is i can never take the place of your man which um i don't think charted very high at all the the single version was much shorter they cut out that whole middle section um but but still uh yeah this so this song to me it's super catchy and then when i was listening to it this time i really noticed that it's got so many elements to it it's got like pop and almost new wavy feel as well as rock and in that middle section some jazz even and uh and psych guitar a little bit um which if you would like if you described a song that way to me i would think it would sound like shit but i think this one really works uh 
I think it's catchy as hell. I don't know why it didn't really go anywhere uh, on the charts. But it's a, it's another one where um, Prince is, it's kind of more grown up, where he's like telling her, telling the woman, yeah, don't bother with me. I'm not, I'm not the one you want, uh, which was an interesting twist in his career. It's super catchy, but I'm reading now that it was re- recorded in 82, or is that a different version? Oh, it was a must have been a way different version. Yeah, I've probably got it somewhere, but uh, a lot of his songs were that way. He had, you can find really early versions, but they're not the same. So this record, um, I guess, was synthesized from parts of various other records that he'd had going on, including one where he was uh, adopting the persona of a character named Camille. Camille, a woman. yeah. Um, so I don't know which songs are from where, um, but, but yeah, look, it seems like and he probably just didn't take them as they were. He, he maybe fitted everything together once he had this, but yeah, I think the, the only like real leftover from Camille, um, as it was originally envisioned was if I was your girlfriend, it's got that weird oh, sure. high voice thing going. <laughs> um, yeah, this was originally going to be a three album set, um, called crystal ball, and then it was going to be Camille, and then it ended up being this. Uh, which I also want to say for uh, a double album, I think it's really strong. Double albums always have problems, but I don't like this. is up there with uh, with uh, London Calling for me as as pretty consistent, and even London Calling drags a little in the last third. So uh, yeah, I can never take the place of your man. Any thoughts, Steve? Uh, I'd forgotten how Springsteen-y the song was. It's yeah. like characters and a setting and it's 4-4 and it's rock. And, and I, I had forgotten that and, and was reminded when I listened to it again. Yeah, even that keyboard part is kind of Springsteen-y. Yeah. Um, well, let's give it a whirl. Here is I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man. Steve, your pick. So I picked this one. This wasn't the song that I would go to if I wanted to listen to a song off the record. It'd be one of the one of the catchier ones. But um, I liked how different it was. Um, I think it's the most raw emotional song. Yes. There's like all the other all the other stuff is very sort of composed emotionally, and this one's not. I like that. Um, I also liked that it sounded like Bedhead. <laughs> <laughs> the, band, the band bedhead it could easily have been on one of their records uh without the agonized vocals but um but the just the sound of it yeah. um and it's the most uh yeah indie indie rock <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of the of the of the album yeah uh, i just like i just liked how different it was yeah and i mean lyrically i don't think it's it appeals to any of us it's another one of his religion things but it's not bad um I remember uh, at the at the Grammys the year that this came out, um, the Joshua Tree won, and I remember Prince being kind of annoyed that this album didn't win. And he was when uh, the Joshua Tree won, he was like, "Yeah, I've already done that," so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which this song kind of reminds me of. Like, yeah, he did. Um, 
Yeah, any thoughts from you, Pat? Uh, jeez. Well, you said Pat was very accusatory. <laughs> uh, I think this song was, uh, unlike most Prince stuff, I I did feel, feel like this was a very 80s song. It was good. I just, it just took me back more than most Prince stuff does for some reason. Huh. Like, something about the, like, one of the instruments, and it just made me think, oh, this is, this is from the 80s. And most of the time, Prince doesn't do that. I don't know why. Well, I think he didn't, like... That was one thing about about Thriller, um, and Michael Jackson wasn't certainly wasn't the first one to do it, but I think he made it a thing where like the R and B stuff, which I don't think you can really say Prince is strictly R and B anyway, but R and B music after that became way more about production than it did about uh, soulful vocals and stuff. And oh, that was one thing. You know what? Oh, before we go into the cross. Um, I forgot to put it in the Michael Jackson segment. I want to talk about it a little bit the difference between Michael's vocals as a kid and as an adult. Um, because I think he's a fine singer. Obviously, as an adult, he can sing. But if you listen to uh, this song that I'm going to play, which is a Smokey Robinson song um, that he did in the Jackson Five, he was like a real soul singer. Even though he was, I don't know how old he was. He was young as shit. Um, but he could put this across, and I feel like. As he got older, it became more about like vocal tics and mannerisms more than soulful singing. And I think I think that's um, basically to get back to what you were saying, Pat. It's it's the production styles of the '80s that Prince didn't necessarily um, adopt. He he kind of kept it more classical in a way, just the sound of his albums. Even though there's like lots of keyboards and stuff on them that are that had to have come, you know, post late '70s, but. But yeah, um, sorry guys. Do you mind listening to this Michael Jackson or Jackson Five song <laughs> real quick? No, I'd never, never mind listening to Michael uh, Jackson or Jackson Five. Songs. Yeah, yeah. And any thoughts on his like his vocals? Like this song to me, it, it's just really impressive that someone so young could make you believe what he was singing, even though he obviously had no idea about love at this point. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I. Well, as he gets so he was 24 when Thriller came out and um, and had had tremendous success and and I think he developed when he's younger he's finding himself obviously and by the time he's 24 and has had you know number one bazillion selling records he he knows what he's good at or thinks he knows what he's good at and so he's developed a repertoire of things that he does that's like a brand and I don't mean that in a cynical way I think he just you know uh, he likes to do it. People like it. So that's in his trick bag of things to do. And so that's maybe why it sounds uh, more loose or formative, obviously, I guess, when he's younger, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, yeah, sorry. Prince, once again, you're upstaged by Michael Jackson. Let's listen to <laughs> uh, the Jackson 5, Who's Loving You, real quick. Ooh, 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 ooh
Um, okay, now to the cross. Yeah, this is this one really uh, impressed me at the time as well, just cause for the same reasons as you, Steve. It sounded very indie rock, and I was like, yeah, this is this is most of what I listen to. So I'm down. Um, let's play at the cross. Ghettos to the left of us Flowers to the right There'll be bread for all of us If we can just So as we now know um, for all time, Steve and Pat hate Sign of the Times with all their hearts, <laughs> and I love and, it. And you. I, I hate you. Yes, and well, that, that's that been known. Um, yeah, I don't know. So many songs on this album I love that I could have done forever in my life or Adore. Or, um, that's another thing. He's Prince is really good at ballads, I feel like. Uh, unlike Michael, he doesn't usually get too sappy. Um, not that he hasn't, but but not on this album. Anyway, uh, so I I guess we have who wins, Michael Jackson or Prince? Prince. Yeah, Prince. Just uh, <laughs> just on general principle, are we comparing the two albums? No, not the two albums overall. Oh, overall, sure, yeah. Prince. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Then we have solved that conundrum for all time. <laughs> I think that was solved in a, a courthouse in Santa Barbara about 15 years ago. I think you're right. <laughs> uh, well, and also, I mean, Michael Jackson, you know, Prince, his later stuff wasn't always that great, but Michael Jackson was kind of um, more of the same after Thriller or really less of the same, I think, um, where at least Prince tried to keep uh, expanding his his musical horizons. So yeah, I think Prince wins. All right. I wonder what a Michael Jackson's show was like. If that was a, like, you know, pre- you and many people say Prince shows were the best thing to ever go to. I wonder if Michael Jackson had a comparable show. Oh, I'm sure Michael Jackson was amazing. Actually, a friend of the show and past guest Amy said she saw Michael Jackson and it was almost as good as Prince. Oh wow. So, yeah. Um, I I mean, how could it be bad? I'm sure. I'm sure it was awesome, but I I also don't think Michael just didn't have the the versatility of Prince as a performer. I think he could dance and he could sing, but Prince could also dance and sing, and he could do it in high heels and <laughs> play guitar and then jump over. Uh, another thing Amy said when she saw Prince one time, he he in the middle of a song went to every instrumentalist and grabbed their instrument and played it for a little bit of the song. So you're not going to see <laughs> Michael do that. Um, Did either of you see the This Is It documentary? No, no never saw it. Did you? No, I'm curious. No, I haven't seen it. Curious now. It seemed very sad to me when it came out at the time. I was like, oh, this this seems like grave digging. You know, it was very soon after. Um, and and it, it's, it's about Prince? No, Michael Jackson. Oh, okay. 
it was the it was the thwarted tour. He died right before I think right before they went on tour. So they were rehearsing and they were rehearsing the shit out of it because it was this major production. Um, and they released it not only just because everybody was agonized after he died, but they needed to dig out of the financial hole the, they the were in. The tour would they, had put them in, yeah. Yeah, they sank oh, all this to oh, it and okay. then died. And like, what are they going to do? So, so there's a making of video for the, the lead up to the tour that never happened. Yeah. Now, Michael Jackson's daughter is becoming a thing. I don't know if she's like what she is famous for, but I know she's in the news all the time for doing something. I don't know if she's an actress or a model or a singer. No idea. What about Blanket? That's what I, that's what we're all on the edge of our seats about. Is is Blanket the youngest kid? I don't know. Yeah. It's maybe it's Blanket. Oh, okay. This is the oldest daughter, I think. Yeah. No, Blanket's a boy. For I mean, or as close as How a Michael Jackson know? kid can get to a boy. The, the baby was under a blanket. No, I really but, have no idea. I'm just going by the name. You you know, it doesn't seem like a very feminine name, but um, it'd be like bedsheet if it was a girl i would think but uh all right shall we go to then recommendations Asians, 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 Asians. steve uh so i watched again recently the cabinet of dr caligari the 1920 german expressionist silent film um and was totally hypnotized i forgot how much i loved it so ah, it's a play on words or a kind of <laughs> not but um <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's one of those silent films that they've restored recently. Like Kino, I think, was what I watched it, um, who released it. And they'd restored it and removed all the damage and retinted the film. Um, and it was it was great. I really loved it. It makes me want to go watch more expressionist um, film from that era. Yeah, I... I think I saw, I don't know if I saw the same version because they, it seems like they restore that one every few years. Um, but I saw like, I think it was Kino video that did it. I saw that. I think they also did Metropolis. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, a classic. We, it's, it takes some getting used to that, that style, that those old silent films. Um, and I sometimes have a hard time with it. Like the weird fades and cuts and stuff are, are so they're not modern at all. Um, so it's, it's an adjustment, but yeah, no, that's a great one. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be dreamy and disorienting and weird, the weirdness, like, like they, you know, the scenery chewing and all that, the, the crazy makeup and all that. Right. Just seems to fit. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the, no, totally. And the sets are awesome. I mean, they're like hand painted, I believe. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good pick. Um, Pat. Sorry about that, Pat. That was my fault. Your pick is. Life moves pretty fast. The lessons we learned from 80s movies and why we don't learn them from movies anymore by Hadley Freeman. Oh, it's a book right up my alley. It's a book that was recommended to me and I, I wasn't, well, I, I read the forward and I wasn't sure how I'd like it because she kind of was, it was like a little bit of a hyperbole in the, the forward, how she talked about 80s movies and as you read the book you get more used to her voice and it makes more sense sure. but she kind of glossed over the negative aspects of 80s movies and i was like this is bullshit i'm gonna be arguing for however many pages it is but once i started reading she convinced me first of all how good 80s movies can were and can be looked at especially compared to more modern movies that are more corporate and her voice is really funny and uh yeah so it's a good book and i, I think her arguments are are well thought out i don't i still don't know if i like john hughes movies but maybe i'll watch more uh, Another one, aside from Pretty in Pink. Yeah, that was or, No, not Pretty in Pink. Uh, 16 Candles. 16 Candles. That was a bad pick, yeah. Uh, but she she was, I mean, I was a little worried in the four where she's like, yeah, maybe they were racist. But when she talked about it more, it was like, they were very racist. <laughs> so. Well, and her thesis doesn't seem to be uh, anything about the bad parts of 80s movies anyway. So, I mean, it makes sense she no. delve into that yeah. so much. But the way, the, I just put, I was just turned off by the Ford because it just seemed like she was going to ignore the bad parts and just say they don't matter, but she did not ignore them. And she, yeah, it was, it's an interesting book. It was better than I expected. It was very good. Okay, cool. And interestingly, right after I, I'd never heard of this author, author, but right after I read it on someone retweeted a link to an article she wrote about, uh, was it a uh, Harris, Harris Kittles? What's his name? Harris Whittles. Harris Whittles from, uh, you know, all kinds of comedy shows. And she wrote a pretty good uh, article about them. Oh, cool. Um, Steve, you're still there, right? 
I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to recommend a couple things. A uh, new Robin Hitchcock album, self-titled Robin Hitchcock. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. Um, kind of harks back to his earlier work, 80s period. I, yeah, I like it more than uh, other stuff he's had out recently. And I've liked the other stuff he's had out recently. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really strong. And I will be seeing him uh, twice on He's opening up for the Psychedelic Furs, and then he's doing a solo show, so that'll be fun. And uh, my second recommendation is a comic book, and it is called Shaolin Cowboy. And you can get on board, because the first issue just came out, and you can mark my words that this will be a massive cult hit. Uh, it's put out by Dark Horse Comics. And uh, it's about a Shaolin cowboy. It's this. <laughs> it sounds like a movie. It sounds like a two-word movie pitch. It, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> except it's not like what you would think from that pitch. Like it's in the modern day, um, set in modern day, and he's like kind of a, I guess, a cowboy, but you know, a, a Zen kung fu master dude. And uh, I don't. It's very weird. Like any. Any comic where the villain is a uh, talking crab sitting on the head of a woman with swastika <laughs> face tattoos, you know you're in for a good wow. time. So, I, I just have to say, anytime someone says that something's going to be a cult hit, it only lasts two issues. I so hope that's really, not the case. Really enjoy that issue reading, Sean, because you just <laughs> cursed it. Well, my word means nothing, obviously. Um does so, Dark Horse, as with Image, does Dark Horse allow creator ownership? I assume. I don't know that the answer to that actually. I, as far as I know, um, Image is. I mean, well, I guess Image was the first one that did that. It doesn't necessarily mean they're the only ones. But yeah, that's a good question. No idea. Maybe uh, it varies title to title. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. I'm look that up. Um, yeah. All right. That's it. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, Steve. That was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. And uh, so write to us at popculturecontinuum at gmail.com. Rate us highly on iTunes. Um, like us on Facebook. And most importantly, tell your friends to listen. Mm -hmm. And we this is episode 198, so we still have nothing for our big 200th episode. But, uh, you know, that probably just means Michael Morris will come on or something. I don't know. We'll see. If anybody has any ideas what to do or knows any celebrities uh i tried to get adam scott his people came back to me with a big fat eat a dick so that won't be happening sorry listeners but uh yeah we'll try to come up with something special in any case until next time goodbye everybody goodbye <laughs>